0: read this morning from Matthew chapter 1. We're beginning at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, you are the only true and holy God. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you chose to come to earth in this way. We are so thankful, Lord, that you came to be among us, to walk with us, (coughs) to understand the things that we go through, the trials, the temptations, the fears, the loneliness, the joy. Lord, thank you that you understand us more than anyone else. I pray this morning that you would touch each one of us, Lord. You would speak to us directly. That we would learn something from you. And Lord, that we would be able to show other people you, not us. We thank you, Lord, for this time together and ask that you would bless John as he comes to speak this morning. Give him the words as to what you want us to understand and learn. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Sometimes we believe that God is distant, far away, removed from reality. That might be how you feel. The Christmas story is about all of that being proven wrong. The Christmas story is about God coming close to us, embracing humanity, and even becoming like us. You see, that's what love does. Love has the ability to understand and share how another feels. It's not distant, it's not removed, it's close. The story of Jesus coming to earth as a child is a story of God, the God of the universe, taking on flesh so that as Hebrews says, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. Maybe though, this is not your experience to date. Maybe in whatever life has thrown at you, you feel that God has abandoned you, or left you, or let you down. Maybe you have stopped caring, Or maybe not you see the reality is this no matter how you feel God never changes God is close his love never changes his nature never changes this is good news for us something solid we can rely on in an ever-changing world imagine you could feel the reality of that the rock that never moves as it says in Psalm One eighteen, O give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The way God demonstrated this was by sending Jesus. This Christmas come and join us as we celebrate the fact that love in the person of Jesus came down. Morning, everyone. Morning. And can I ask for your patience uh, as we begin today, but before we start, I am still coughing and still sounding like Fuzzy Bear. So, uh, also, who turned the lights off? But, because literally this week I went and got glasses so I could see you. And I can't see you because it's dark. Like, what's, what's going on? Right. Today's text, the text that we're looking at in Matthew uh, chapter 2, is one of what we call the foundational tax for Christianity. It is a foundational anchor tax for all of Christianity. Matthew 1, 22, 23 says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This sums up, uh, the theological term, the incarnation, God with us. And really that's what Christmas is all about. And I know you know that, and I know you're familiar with that, but I really feel that we need, the, that we need Advent, we need the season of Advent, we need to set aside these, these three, four weeks so that we can remind ourselves that that actually is what Christmas is all about. God with us. We see, because outside of these times, outside of these gatherings, what you will be bombarded with, what you're hit with, is that it's about everything else. There is so much to distract us, so much to divert us. Uh, and so these times, these, these gatherings that we have, these, this Advent season that we have, are just to get us around the reality again, to center us around the reality again that this is about Jesus coming to earth about God being with us. I know I've, I've read this quote to you before, but, it, but it's a good one. R.T. France, the theologian, said this, most people's awareness of the Christmas story is derived mainly from school nativity plays, in which Luke's tea-tall shepherds rub shoulders with Matthew's magi, promoted to royal status, and surely the innkeeper and his wife are surrounded by infant angels with tinsel halos. Add to this cocktail an array of Christmas cards depicting a glowing stable surrounded by bleak midwinter snow and populated by smiling ox and ass, and you have the ingredients for a satisfyingly feel-good schmaltzfest that is the modern Christmas. And that's what we have. In today's society that's what we have of Christmas. It's this feel good as this uh, theologian put it, this feel good schmaltzfest of niceties. As I mentioned last week, look at me, I'm even trying to look Christmassy. But what I want to do and, and sometimes I feel like I you know this is part of my role, is to play Grinch a little bit of the time and to bring us back to the reality of what this is all about. And this morning, what I want to do is look at these verses, these incarnational verses, the significance of the first advent, the significance of what it says in today's text about Him being made manifest in the flesh. He is come to us. God, come to us. And what we tend to do is over-romanticize it or over-idealize it. And what I want to do is bring us back to the reality of Jesus coming to this earth to be with us. But before we get to God with us, the Emmanuel part, it's very, very important that we start actually looking back at Matthew chapter 1. Because what we we tend to do is, when we over-idealize or over-romanticize the Christmas story or the Incarnation, is that we tend to romanticize and idealize the whole of the Gospels and sanitize them, in fact. But if you look at Matthew chapter 1, and I know you love a good old genealogy. You love to go home of an evening there and read the genealogies of Jesus, don't you? You just love that now. That's Matthew chapter one's a, one's a hit in the old devotional cycle. <coughs> but if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 1, what you'll see there in the genealogy of Jesus, is very clearly that Jesus came from brokenness to heal brokenness. Because what you see in the genealogy of Jesus is basically this, a dysfunctional family. It's not over-romanticized. It's not over-idealized. It is a dysfunctional family line. The truth is Jesus came from dysfunction. So when the angel tells Joseph in Matthew one twenty one, he says, Jesus and, and he will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is undoubtedly a look back at the genealogy of Jesus to say, look at this ragtag bunch here. Name him Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. If you look at Jesus' family tree in Matthew one, you'll see a list of undesirables. And even more intriguing than that is the inclusion of four women in the genealogy. Women were not included in Jewish genealogies. And here we have at least four, five, counting his mother Mary. As I say, first thing to note is that it was rare for women to be listed at all. But secondly, these aren't the women that we would have expected to be listed if there were any. Instead of Sarah or Rebecca, the the holy ones, we have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. Why? Well, for starters, four of them have past connection to sexual immorality. Tamar, seduced her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was part of the Moabite tribe, which had origins in incest. The child born to Uriah's wife was conceived as a result of an adulterous relationship with with King David. And even more than that, all four women have connections with Gentiles. So what what we have here are four women listed in the line of Jesus, all have connections with past sexual immorality, all have connections with Gentiles. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us a couple of things. One thing thing it does tell us is the fact that they have connections with Gentiles is that these Gospels are alluding to, the start of the Gospels are alluding to the fact that Jesus will include all people in His kingdom. But the second thing that it alludes to, which is even more important, I think, in my view, is this, is that it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what the brokenness is in your background. It doesn't matter the dysfunction in your background. It does not matter one jot to God Almighty, any of that. He is capable of redeeming it all and bringing you into the family of God. Amen. Amen. This is a dysfunctional family line. Scott Saul's pastor, theologian, said this, It was the crooks and the prostitutes, the lepers and the homeless, the materially poor, not the proud, not the prestigious scribes and Pharisees who felt most at home in Christ's kingdom. Maybe that's because exactly, that's exactly who he came from. Let me ask us a question. Who do we feel today if Jesus were to walk the streets of Rutherford? Who do we feel that he would be who would feel most comfortable in his presence? Would it be the religious people of Cornerstone Church Rutherford? Or would it be those who are outside? Those who were in the pub last night and have still a very, very sore head this morning. Those who, are, who have sexual immorality in their backgrounds but feel ashamed of that. Those who are, are facing this Christmas uh, with, with the reality of brokenness in their own lives and the lives around them. Who would feel most comfortable in Jesus' presence? feel that it might be them. For I feel that Jesus might show up and say to us, your religion is worthless in my sight. Are you following me on my footsteps and who I engaged with and who I loved and who I cared for? Are you following that or are you more concerned with ticking the box? Jesus came from dysfunction to save dysfunction. He came from brokenness to heal brokenness. I said, I will get to here again at the very end. I talked about this last week. This Christmas season that we're in, right? We have a a carol service coming up on Friday night, right? We would consider this in Cornerstone Church. I consider this. I don't know why you consider this or not. I consider this to be the biggest night of our year. Why do I consider that to be the biggest night of our year? Because it's the easiest ask you'll ever have. It is the easiest ask you will ever have to say, oh, we're having a carol service. Why don't you come along? Christmas. People, I don't care who you are, you love Christmas, apart from me. But <clears throat> you love Christmas and people will come to these things. Right? Marcus mentioned it at the front. We are giving this church an opportunity this week to go around this town with leaflets Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, night, and Thursday night, to engage with the people of this town. Take the opportunity take the opportunity to be on the streets of this place, engaging with those who live here for the sake of the gospel. Take the opportunity. It's an easy ask. It's an easy ask. Jesus came from brokenness to heal brokenness. So, He did not come he did not come for the prestigious scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders. He said he came for the sick, not the well. Now, we all put a big thumbs up to that, don't we? We all love that. We love that crack. We love the fact that Jesus came for the, for the, the downtrodden and the, and the left out and, the, and the whatever. And, and, you know, we love that because we think we're not the Pharisees. What I would ask us to do is genuinely look inside our hearts and see if that's true. Are we there Could it be? Could it be that we are the religious of the day, looking down our noses at those who we deem to be less significant than ourselves? We need to do a gut check. A heart check, and see if that's us. Jesus came for the broken because He came from brokenness. So, that's to set us up for this unbelievable anchor Scripture that is Emmanuel, God with us. That's, that's how He came. But who came? Who came, folks? Well, the scripture tells us it's God. God came. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ is, Jesus Christ is God. God with us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it like this: It says, What is God? So if this is God, Jesus Christ is God, what is God? The answer comes in the Westminster Shorter Catechism like this. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's who's with us. In all of Himself, that is who is with us, just as I have described Him there. Spirit makes him unlimited. Eternal means he was here first and he's never going away. In the carol service, we're going to look at John, John chapter 1, the prologue to John. And, and, and there it says, In the beginning was the word. That tells us that he was eternal from before the foundations of the earth and he will be eternal until <laughs> there is no end. In the early church, there was a heretic. Uh, He's actually a forerunner for the modern Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, His name was Arius. And his motto was, there was when he was not. There was when he was not. Arius is wrong. That's why he's a heretic. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is eternal. He's unchangeable. He's never moody. How many people, if we were on, how many people, if we were honest, right? Honest. Think sometimes that God is in a mood with us. Well, just me and Sarah. All right, okay, the rest, of you've got it nailed, Sarah. We'll disciple each other, right? <clears throat> we feel that God is. In a, he's never like that. He is the same, unchangeable wisdom. This is going to be hard for you. To, this is going to be hard for us to follow because as I look out and I can see you now, I know you're all very smart people, right? But he is wisdom. means that he's smarter than all of this room put together. Hard to believe. True. Holy. He, his means are pure and never, uh, never mixed. There's no dark side. No, no, nothing that we have to placate or appease. Justice means that his thoughts are are free from any sneakiness. Goodness means there's nothing in him we need to fear or worry about. Folks, this is the God who is with us. Spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's who's with us. I think I've told you the story before of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, one of the Reformers. uh, Must be something about pastors that they're a bit grumpy. But Martin Luther, one of the Reformers, was, uh, I love this word, bellyaching about his own situation in life, his own God-forsaken life. And he was going on to his wife uh, about his God-forsaken life. So his wife Catherine decided that she would go upstairs and put a black funeral dress on and come down Martin Luther. So Catherine appears in the black dress to Martin Luther, and to, to which Martin Luther says, who has died? Catherine's response, God apparently, and I'm joining you in his mourning. How often do we think like that? How often do we have small thoughts or, or wrong thoughts or, or just unbelief about who God is and who he, he's with us? The God of the universe. Now, Jeff and I were talking before the service today, right? And we're talking about, uh, if you come tonight, we're going to be praying for the guys in Elko. They're having their carol services today. Like, almost 2,000 people will hear the gospel today in Elko. Unbelievable. But Jeff and I were saying, why could we not believe and hope and pray that we could not fit the people in here on Friday night. Do we not believe in a God capable of that? Are we hoping for that? Are we praying for that? God is with us. Not our mate, not somebody who's just, oh, well, you give her t-. God of the universe is with us. He is with us. All of Him is with us. I was put on this week to a song, a new song. Gail gave me a recommendation for it, a new song by Phil Wickham, "The Face of God," and it goes like this. This is just one part of it. It says, "Gloria, I hear the angels singing. Gloria, all of heaven's ringing. Gloria, the Savior of the world is in her arms." She's stirring at the face of God. Stirring at the face of God. She looks upon the great I Am, the gift of heaven in her hands, born to save the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The child that Mary held was God. God is with her do you believe that? Second part of this beautiful text, this God with us, is the fact that He is with us. God of the universe is with us, not against us. And He's so with us there is not one moment that his eyes are turned away from us, not one moment that his heart gets weary of us. He hears our cry, he sees our need, he knows our sin, and he's with us in it. The witness of God means that he is our ally in the war that we fight. The text that comes from Isaiah, the text that, that Matthew is quoting is, 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 is in military context. And so when it says he's with us it means that he is with us in the battle. That's literally what it's saying. Whatever battle we're facing, whatever whatever crisis we're going through, the God that I've just described, God with uh, w- is with us in that. And folks ultimately we know our ultimate crisis is our sin. Our ultimate crisis is our sinfulness. And God fought for us in our sin. When sin and death and hell rose up against us, Jesus defeated it by dying in our place. He fought for us. We have a Savior who doesn't say, as long as you're good enough, I'll be with you. We don't have a Savior who says, as long as you tick X, Y, and Z box, I'll be with you. We don't have a Savior who says, you need to perform and be be like this, and I'll be with you. No, the Scriptures say that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He fought for you, and He fought for me, whilst we were still sinners. He will save his people from their sin. God fought for us. People are going to start thinking I've lost the plot this morning because I've already quoted Phil Wickham. Brace yourselves. I'm going to quote somebody from Bethel. All right? all the more reformed of you are freaking out right now, right? <coughs> Bethel, my new favorite song. I, put it on, I think I put it on Facebook last night, Egypt, right? And it's a song basically about our story, about how God uh, leads us out of our Egypt, right? And fights for us. Think about... That's all right, time will be dead on. Uh, <coughs> God fights for us. Right? He fought for the Israelites. He did all the work for the Israelites. He led them out into freedom. He parted the seas for them. He went after the Egyptians for them. He did everything for them. And it's the same in our salvation. He does everything for us. He fights for us. We don't add anything to it. We can't bring anything to it. He has done it for us. The God that we've just described has fought for us for us, listen to the words of this song, I won't forget the wonder of how you brought your deliverance, the exodus of my heart, because you found me and you freed me and you held back the waters for my release. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Folks, every victory that we have in our lives is not wrought by us. It is wrought by God. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. The cloud by day is a sign that you're with me. The fire by night, the guiding light to my feet. Because you found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. And then there's a really cool bit where there's this awesome like, electric guitar riff, right? And it goes like this. You stepped into my Egypt and you took me by the hand and you marched me out in freedom into the promised land. And now I will not forget you. I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. That's our story if we're in Christ. God with us, doing the work for us, because we're not capable. Hallelujah. God is personally involved. He is with us. Every time we see the word himself in in the Bible referring to God, our ears should perk up. Example, 1 Peter, it says, and after, a li- after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore confirm strength and establish you. There he is again, doing it himself for us. Here's another, Romans 8, and the Lord will himself descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. <coughs> Sorry, that's First Thessalonians. Folks, this is crucial to the incarnation, the withness of God with us. He is with us, not against us. Jesus entering into the world was the ultimate demonstration of God being with us. Not far off, not at arm's length, but with us. With us. these three small words, God, with, us, are unbelievably powerful. God, I've just described them. God of the universe, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, with, not far away, right here, right now, working, fighting on our behalf. Us. Us. This ragtag bunch sitting in the Young Farmer's Hall in Ruth Ryland. God is with us. And if I could individualize that even a wee bit more, God is with you. He is with you. That's amazing. Because if I ask the question, who in this room deserves that? Not one of us can put up our hands. Not one. None of us deserves this grace. Not one. What we can do sometimes is look around the room. I know you do it. You don't necessarily literally do it, but you do it. You look around the room and you think to yourself, well, I know, I understand that God could be with that person because they do X, Y, or Z, or they look like this or that or something else or whatever. I understand. I get that. God could be with them, but he couldn't be with me. John, if you knew, John, if you knew what was going on in my mind right now, John, if you knew what I was thinking about you right now, God is, No, He is. (coughs) If you knew what was going on in my heart, if you knew the sin that's in my life, if you knew what I'm struggling with, if you knew, you would know that God could not be with me. And I want to tell you this morning, you're wrong. You're just flat out wrong. If you are in Christ Jesus, God is with you. He is with you. This is how we think, unfortunately. We think we're not good enough. We think it's for someone else. But I want to tell you this morning it's not. He is with you. I don't care how messed up you think you are. If you're in Christ Jesus, He's with you. He's with you. God with us. To take it back a little bit, though, he is with us as a church. Because what we have here in this ragtag bunch of followers of Jesus Christ is the presence of God. I don't know why you believe this or not, and I don't know whether anybody believes it, but I believe it. And I I believe it for 2nd and 3rd Rutherland. And I believe it for the Baptist. And I believe it for 1st Rutherland. And I believe it for the Reformed Presbyterian. And forgive me if I've left any out, but what what I'm basically saying is I believe it for every church in this town. That these, this morning, these are the most significant gatherings of people that this town will see this week. You, You get that? These gatherings here, the Baptist, wherever, sorry, are the most powerful gatherings of people that this town will see this week. Why is that? Because the presence of the Almighty God is here. Yes? You, you, can, go, you can go to wherever you want in the town. You can go to whatever other guy. You can go to the WA. You can go to the whatever, blah, whatever it is. Many you go, uh, I threw that out there. And then I thought to myself, "How had a wee thought, not many of the women of Cornerstone probably go to the WA now, to be fair. But anyway, I don't know if there's a men's equivalent. There's probably not. But <coughs> you can go wherever, to whatever organization you want to go to. And it has zero of the power that this gathering has. The people of God are here spirit of God is here. God is here. How many of us come in this morning with that thought in our head? We are going to meet with God. Or was it just, whatever? We're going to meet with God. He's with us. He's with us. I want to finish today. So, that is the God of all creation with fighting for, praying for us. A bunch of people who don't deserve it. But He's with us. And I want to finish today with a standout feature between the shepherds last week and Joseph this week. I don't know if you noticed it. Last week, the angels appeared to the shepherds. Today, a Savior is born in Bethlehem. Do you remember? Last week, shepherds, right? angel appears, go and see, they went. Today, an angel appears to Joseph in his sleep and tells him, the Spirit has conceived a child with your soon-to-be wife. This child will save his people from their sin. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. Let's just, let's just chat, right? The shepherds last week, we, we said how crazy this was, right? The, the glory of God descends. They almost cannot bear it. The angels speak to them and they go. That's, that's crazy stuff, Right? This week we have Joseph, and the, and the angel appears to him in a dream, and tells him to do certain things, and tells him, listen, mate, your, your wife, the Holy Spirit, now get this in your head, right? The Holy Spirit of God has conceived a child in your w- soon-to-be wife, she's not even your wife yet, in your soon-to-be wife. And you're going to have the child, and you're going to call him Emmanuel because he's going to save his people from their sins. Right? I know some of you have dreams, and you wake up and you think it's reality. Right? And you go through your day based on the reality of the dream that happened, and you fall out with your husband, or you fall out your wife based on what happened in the dream. Right? I know that has happened. But it was a dream. So Joseph... As every possibility Joseph's going to wake up and go, What the blazes did I have for tea last night? <coughs> Holy Spirit, Mary and stuff. What? What was his response? This was his response. He woke and did as the angel commanded him. Here's the thread simple obedience. Simple obedience. Shepherds, angels appear. What happens? They go. Joseph, angel, appears in a dream. Says, do this. What does Joseph do? He does this. Simple obedience. I was going to make a statement, but I'll ask a question instead. How many of us wonder why God isn't using us? All right, you've all got it nailed again. Not a rhetorical question. How many of us wonder why God's not using us? Could it be? I'm just throwing this out. Could it be? that he is looking for ordinary people to be simply obedient to what he has said. And if we did that, he would blow up every expectation of what we think he could do. simple obedience shepherds go to Bethlehem they went Joseph do what I told you he did it Jesus says at the end of Matthew go into all the world make disciples what did the disciples do they went into all the world and they made disciples Preach the gospel. Simple obedience. Folks, it's not as if we don't know what He's asked us to do. We have it. Are we willing to be simply obedient? Again, sorry, I sound like a salesman, but we have an opportunity approaching to be simply obedient, to get as many bodies in this hall on Friday night to hear the gospel, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm beyond asking. I'm pleading. Let's fill this thing up. Not for, not for the sake of Cornerstone, not for the sake of any church, but for the sake of King Jesus. So that he could speak to people, so that he could share his gospel, so that he could share his good news, so that he could redeem people, that he could save people, that he could bring people into the kingdom. And let's gather tonight to pray to that end. To pray to that end that he would save. Let's, let's pray big prayers. That he would save this town. That he would save this town. That he would save those surrounding it. That, that the Spirit of God would be poured out on this place. And people would come to know Jesus. Amen? It took, again conversation from earlier. Jesus took 12, 12, and turned the world upside down. 12. I ain't good at math, but there's more than 12 in here. Let's do it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word to us that you are with us. Father, I pray that would give us boldness, unbelievable boldness as we go from here today, (coughs) that the God of the universe is with us. Father, I pray for those who are struggling in this room. I pray that your Spirit would speak and just be so kind and gentle and loving to them and, and, and show them that you came for the broken. You came for the lost. You came for those who need you. Holy Spirit, speak to us today about how close you are, about how much you love us, and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We love you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.